Routine joint replacements are more common in the United States than in any other country. With each case, patient follow-up brings us evidence to measure the success of the surgery and to measure against other techniques and devices used for similar procedures. Are we collecting this data to the best of our ability? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on healthcare policy. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. William Jeronik, Associate Professor of Orthopedics and Chief of the Adult Reconstruction Section of the Orthopedic Surgery at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. Dr. Jeronik currently leads a campaign across the state of Virginia to create a statewide joint registry. Welcome, Dr. Jeronik. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Dr. Jeronik, Two of the most common procedures in terms of joint replacement are the hip and the knee, and they certainly are growing in popularity. How much increase has there been in recent years and why? Well, I think that the demographics of the baby boomer generation, of which I am one, is, is such that the amount of people over 60 is increasing at a fairly dramatic level and those are the people at the highest risk for need for joint replacement due to arthritis. And so it creates a huge cadre of patients, potential patients out there and we have seen the incidence of joint replacement go up somewhat and the total joint replacement we expect to increase by uh, about three times by 2020. And how frequent is the need for a second surgery? The common saying in, in our business is about a 1% failure rate per year, so that by 20 years, 20% of the implants will have failed and needed to be redone. And when we talk about failed implants, what do you really mean? I mean implants that have either become loose, worn out, or have had problems with instability that have caused the patient a lot of symptoms and pain and, and forced the need for further surgery. In this country, do we have a national database? We don't. What countries do? The Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Australia, England, Germany. In fact, most of the developed countries in the world besides the U.S. have, have registries. Well, why would they have registries and we don't? Part of it is scale in that they're smaller countries. It's been a little bit easier for them to enforce the idea of, of collecting outcomes on their patients. And, you know, perhaps something that is, has limited the development of registries in the U.S. has been the amount of attorney surveillance and the fear of reprisals due to collection of data, particularly data which has to do with not-so-good outcomes. How depressing that is, certainly. Well, what are the advantages of databases? Certainly, if we could identify a product or a surgery that was causing a failure rate much higher than other gold standard surgeries uh, that would cause us to examine the procedure or the implant more carefully and see if we could identify what the failure mechanism was and, and get it changed. And the timing is important. The reason that you want 100% compliance of your database is you can pick up a trend, a failure trend, much faster and perhaps stop it before 
a lot of other patients who are in the pipeline get the same device and have the same problem. In the other countries, who oversees the database? They're by and large overseen by physicians. And in the case of orthopedics, they're almost all orthopedic surgeons. There is involvement by the government in almost all of the registries to a certain degree, but they still believe that the advisory board should have a lot of physician input. In the United States, would this same process work? And also, does the sheer number of United States procedures provide an obstacle in of itself? Sure. It's a huge obstacle, which is why we don't have it. I mean, we're a can-do country, and we don't have something that, you know, on first glance seems very easy, and, and we should should have them. I think certainly we, we focus initially on the procedures that are very common and that there are a lot being performed, and hip and knee replacement certainly fits into that. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. William Jeronik, Associate Professor of Orthopedics and Chief of the Adult Reconstruction Section of Orthopedic Surgery at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. We are discussing the utility of a national registry to monitor joint implantation. Doctor, how does the database impact a patient's willingness or a physician's willingness to embrace new technology? Well, I think if we knew that surveillance was going to be a bigger part of our life, just like anything else in life, we'd be a little bit more careful about the things we do. So I would think that you would be a little more careful with new technology, a little bit more discerning about what the science behind the new technology is. Well, right now, as physicians, are we using the data from overseas to guide us with respect to using products here in the United States? We are. We have stopped the use, not with any decree, but by physicians learning this data. It has affected some of the practice patterns. So there's no no question that some of the data has affected us there. The problem is that there are different ways of doing things and the implants are not all the same in the other countries as they are here. This doesn't seem to make a common horse sense to me why we don't use our own data and our own database here in the United States and using other countries' database to determine what we're doing. We do use our database. We have a Medicare database that we're able to mine and get some reasonable data, but that involves a certain segment of our population, only the people over 65 who qualify, and there are holes in that data as well. If a, a prosthetic device is taken off the market overseas, how much lag time is there, if at all, uh, before we take it off the market here? I think there can be considerable lag time. In other words, say Sweden says this type of bone cement we do not think is suitable for use. How long would it take us in the U.S. to respond to that? I think it's been variable with different products because the second they say that, the manufacturer of the product has a counter argument of why it may not indeed be that product. And I won't say that the second problem is that information is not disseminated to all of our orthopedic surgeons in any defined mechanism. So some surgeons may find out about it, but not 
all of them. There's no national reporting of this uh, to all the physicians across the country. And I think the lag time is considerable, but I cannot give you a, a definite amount. How do you justify another orthopedic surgeons keeping a prosthetic device on the market here in the United States when perhaps it has been pulled in other countries? Well, I think that the the way it's justified is, you know, you're not guilty until you're proven guilty. And so a lot of people want to verify that the science that was used in the other countries is indeed correct and that that product does deserve to be removed. Now, I do think that people do that, and I do think that we make decisions based on the other registry's data, but I think that it's probably not immediate, and it's probably not as valuable as if somebody in your own country was saying, look, I've seen all of these failures. Here's the data. We need to do something. Is the relationship perhaps a tad too cozy between some orthopedic surgeons and the prosthetic device makers? I think that that was a reasonable criticism two years ago. I think since the Department of Justice has been investigating the orthopedic implant manufacturers, that is starting to change and I think is probably going to create a fairly widespread change. So I would say that the relationship is perhaps a little more arm's length than it was two years ago. Since we don't have a national database, how can we improve our outcomes? I mean, how do we do this? Well, I think we can continue to do what we've done thus far, reporting our results at national meetings and publishing them in our peer-reviewed journals. And I think there's a lot of great information to be gained from that. Our, our idea with the registry was more surveillance of specific products. Our Medicare database does not track the actual lot numbers of the products so that it's harder to identify who's had a specific product. You know, we know that somebody's had a hip replacement. We don't know that it, they've actually had a Zimmer implant or a Depew implant or a Biomed implant. And so that probably needs to be changed, and that's part of why we want the registry. Have there been any United States institutions that have built successful registries? Well, you could probably tell me more. I know that there's been an attempt in our state at development of a vascular registry for vascular graphs. I know that the cardiologists are building a registry, and they hope a national registry to track cardiac implants. And I would say that probably all of medicine is saying, hey, we need to have a better tabs on the implants that we're putting into people. So I, I think we're going to see it in, in almost all specialties that use implants. Are you optimistic that in the next few years that orthopedic surgeons will develop a registry? I don't think it's going to be the next few years, but I am optimistic that there are enough people, good people who are trying to do this, and there are enough compelling reasons to do it that it, it will continue to build. But it's slow. There's a lot of impediments to progress. But I think the trend will continue, but instead of two years, I put it more at 10 years. How will you get around the problem of the plaintiff lawyers looking at this database for their own self-serving situation? Well, in Virginia, we uh, had an amendment passed to the Patient Safety Act to make the data in this database privileged from discovery by attorneys. And I think if we can keep the control of how this data is used in the hands of boards of not only physicians but other lay people, interested lay people, 
I think that we've got a reasonable chance. And they didn't fight that? I wouldn't say they didn't fight it because they have fought it in other areas. I think we had an opportunity in Virginia. And, you know, there are a lot of other things that are interesting lawyers in the medical field right now, including malpractice caps and and other things. And perhaps this was a lower priority. I want to thank our guest, Dr. William Juranek. We've been discussing the utility of a national registry to monitor joint implantation. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please, Call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.